0: Hi, I'm Jessica
1: and I'm Girish
0: and this is the Destiny Benders podcast where we explore the impact of international education on the lives of students and professionals from across the globe. It's a podcast for international educators by international educators and about international educators.
1: And in each episode, we'll be meeting with destiny benders of our industry. We'll look beyond the job title and really get to know the people whose mission it is to change lives and bend destinies.
0: Hey, Girish.
1: Hey, Jessica, this is great. I'm so glad we're doing this podcast. Finally, it's been a dream of mine for years, but I never got around to it. So I'm really thankful that you are interested in doing this. And I'm excited. How do you feel?
0: I feel excited, too. I feel excited, too. Yeah, this for me, it, it's not an idea that I've had for years, as you know, but it was something that came to me since the start of the pandemic. So we always talk about March 2020 as being the start. And I started to go on social media a lot more. I think many people did. We're at home, you know, we have kind of a bit more time. And so I was spending more time on social media, particularly on LinkedIn. And I started to interact with and communicate with people that I'd been on social media with for a long time. And I'd known from conferences or from here and there, or they were panel panelists and different events and things like that. So people that I knew and got to know through social media and through various work events. But I started thinking about, I don't really know these people. Like I can, you know, we, we greet each other when we see each other at conferences, you know, you're hi and hugs. But the reality is, is I don't really, know many of the people that I feel quite close to professionally, and I wanted to get to know them better and yeah. hear their story about how they got into international education, because we're all passionate about this field, aren't we? If you work in international education, it's not because you're going to be really rich one day. You know, there's not a lot of money in it. You're, you're not doing it because you're going to be famous. But the benefit of working in international education is so much more than that. But and everybody's
1: got a story, right? Everybody has a story about how they got into international education. I'm sure it happens in all careers, but I think in in our career, in our industry, it's almost a what is it? What do you say? A rule and not an exception that everybody has an interesting story, and I think that's what really excites me about the podcast is that we can now go and introduce these people and their stories to everybody else. And you know, for me. You know, I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of them, and the ones that I've seen in our industry are very uh, fact-based or research-based, yeah. or maybe introducing certain aspects of the job.
0: I'm hoping our podcast is a refreshing change from the current international education podcasts that are out there, which are focused. Very much on strategy, on building numbers, growing Mm -hmm. your student population, emerging markets, you know, social media tools can you use, you know, what's Uh, the best way to get a hold of students? And all of that is fine and needed and necessary. It's
1: important. Yeah. It's it's
0: important, but it's also it's not getting to the heart of what international education is for me. And that's people, that's students. That's what international education is about. It's touching the lives of those students and those people who are about to embark on this destiny bending experience, not numbers, not which market is going to send us the most students, not how much money are we going to, what's the bottom line. That's not international education for me. And I've been very disillusioned lately.
1: Yeah, it's all about the money. So yesterday morning, I had a call with a professor from a university in the Netherlands, and she's writing a chapter for a book on the use of agents, and she wanted to interview me or get my thoughts on it. So we were chatting yesterday, and this is exactly what we're talking about. It's like it's all about the numbers and the diversity numbers and all that stuff. Like when you talk about open doors, we're saying international students contribute forty-two billion dollars to the U.S. economy. That's what we're focusing on. Like, yeah. I mean, like. That's the highlight. I understand universities need to make their budgets and stuff, but you're right. You can't just be about numbers. For this intro episode, I I thought it'd be really cool for us to just share our stories and kind of talk about how we got to where we are and wanting to do what we're about to do and, and introducing guests from around the world and introducing their stories to the world. So I'm, you know, I know you for, for about 10 years now, right? I mean, we literally met at a line for coffee at a conference.
0: Yep. Probably how
1: Everybody meets it, at Napsus, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. And I think we're a really good example. So, you know, if someone said to me, do you know Girish Balola? I would say, yeah, yeah, I know Girish. You know, I know him really well. But do I know you really well? You know, before we started this podcast, I didn't actually know the story of how you came to live in Minnesota and do yeah. the work that you're doing. But yet, if I saw you in real life at a conference, I'd give you yeah. a big hug and we'd sit down and have a chat. And I want Absolutely. to get to know all my other international education colleagues in that same way and what better way to do it than to sit down with them via this podcast and ask them tell me your story how did you get to where you are today why are you in this profession so i want you to start girish tell me your story i know you came i know you came to the us as an international student from india to kansas i i learned that fairly recently actually why kansas
1: uh, <laughs> why not? I guess, you know, that's an interesting story as every international student has on how they ended up where they ended up. In my case, I had finished high school in India and I wanted to go to medical school. I wanted to be a doctor mm-hmm. and I had gotten into medical school that was a little ways away from home, literally like 300 miles away. My mom particularly wasn't very excited about that. So the other option was for me to stay in my hometown of Bangalore and go to pharmacy school, which was my dad's wish, maybe not a dream, but wish, because he was a pharmacist. We had pharmacies that we ran. So I think he wanted me to kind of oh, become a pharmacist okay. and think of the family business. Without much thought, I just went into pharmacy school in India. And then a year goes by and this itch I've had, I've had this itch about wanting to come to the U.S., Since I was in fifth grade, really, that kind of yes, I was obsessed about coming to the US and I'd learned so much about, just from people, particularly my aunt who lived in South Carolina, who would visit India and tell me about all the wonderful things about the U.S. and how it's the shining beacon on the hill, (laughs) like, you know, the the stories that you hear about how there's so much value and respect for every job that you do and that meritocracy and, you know, your hard work always pays off. You know the, The dream, they talk about the American dream. So I had my American obsession about coming here. And over the years from fifth grade through middle school and high school, it wasn't really feasible, right? My dad wasn't gonna just send me as a little kid to live in the US. So when I finished high school and I got into pharmacy school in India, I spent a year and it just wasn't for me. It's just not Mm -hmm. what I was wanting. And so this obsession came back and it just so happened that a friend of mine, my best friend growing up, his brother had left to come study in the US and get a master's degree. And you would recognize this. He was coming to Lamar University
0: oh, in Beaumont, Texas, Yes, right? uh,
1: Your Texas background there.
0: He's Texas. And
1: the day we saw him off at the airport in Bangalore as he was coming here to study, we'd gone back to his house. We were just hanging out. And my friend said, hey, you know what? My brother left all these brochures back here. Mm-hmm. Do you want them? Because I know you're so obsessed about going to the U.S. And I said, yeah, sure. And I remember just hopping on his bed there in his room, going through every single brochure. And now, mind you, I had only thought about pharmacy as a degree. I came across a simple, very simple, trifold, light blue colored University of Kansas brochure. And as I'm looking through it now, I had already taken my TOEFL exam and I was preparing for my SATs that November. So this was summer of 91. And I noticed that KU didn't need my SAT score, which meant I could apply for the spring of 92 as opposed to my original plan of waiting till the fall of 92. That's Mm -hmm. the only reason I chose KU. And that was the only application I sent in. I got (laughs) admitted. And then I went through lots of issues with the visa and all of that. But eventually I got my visa. And as you know, landed in Lawrence, Kansas on the 8th of January in 1992. Mm. And that's where my story started.
0: Obviously, you did not become a pharmacist. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, because <of> <laughs> Much to my parents' chagrin. You know, I, I just didn't feel it. Because yeah. there was no thought about going into pharmacy, right? It wasn't like I planned and I wanted to. So when I was at KU taking courses, some of the courses I had to take were immunology and Mm -hmm. genetics and mammalian physiology. And some of these courses are really more interesting than organic chem, Mm, (laughs) to be honest. I guess as I thought more about it, the whole idea of genetics and cell biology was very appealing to me. I really loved it. The whole idea of understanding how The human body is what it is and the genes and how they are, you know, how you get them and how do you express them and all of that. And back then, again, this is early 90s there was a huge project going on in the world called the Human Genome Project. Yeah, right. Remember the scientists were trying to map the entire human genome, 3 billion plus genes. So that's how I decided I was going to go into genetics because that's kind of was the goal to go work on the Human Genome Project, which wow. didn't happen either.
0: That also did. So you ended up switching majors, I guess, to... Is genetics a major? I'm sorry, I don't Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is a major. You know, that's the funny thing. Like, you know, you don't understand... When you're an international student, you don't quite understand what education systems are like in other other parts of the world. And in the U.S., the idea of changing majors, that is not something that happens in India. You can't just change majors. And here, you know, people change majors all the time. So when I realized that I had this other opportunity or this other interest, I decided I would change my major. And I once spoke to an advisor, and because it was kind of related, you know, most of my classes I'd taken were in biology and immunology, et cetera. Um, I didn't lose any time, so I ended up getting my undergrad in genetics and cell biology.
0: Wow, I did but not I, know that. I,
1: I never worked a day as a geneticist in my life.
0: No. Well, then what did you do when you graduated?
1: The other part of my life on campus was I was your typical international student involved in everything on mm-hmm. campus. Every every student organization, student club that I had any passing interest in, I was part of. I became the uh, president of the International Student Association. I was the vice president for the Student Alumni Association. I was the secretary for the India Association. I was the secretary for the KU Cricket Club, right? Wow. Um, I ended up becoming a student senator on campus. So I did a lot of different things. And I think that's when I realized my passion was I found myself in each of those roles, helping new international students who were coming to campus every semester, particularly in the fall, when hundreds of students would come, I would take it upon myself to just connect with them and whatever help they needed, I would guide them. to to the extent possible. And I was really involved doing all these things, and I got a chance to interact with a lot of the administration at KU. Mm -hmm. And fast forward to 1995, spring of 95. Now, mind you, I graduated in May. So this is early spring of 1995. The vice chancellor for student affairs at KU at that time was Dr. David Ambler. He was an amazing man. He was so involved on campus. He was so available to students even though he was a senior administrator on campus he had invited me to his office once to talk to me about a campus award that he wanted to nominate me for for my student leadership work and so i was obviously very honored and touched so i went to visit with him we sat down he talked to me about talked to me about the award that he thought i should be nominated for and that he was submitting a nomination and recommendation for it in that conversation he said So you're graduating this year. What are you going to do after? And I said, well, I don't know yet. I think I'm going to go do a PhD in genetics. And he said, without missing a beat, I remember he saying, have you ever considered higher ed? I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't know what higher ed was like as a career. So I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, work for a university, you know, be an administrator. I see you working with students. I think you'd do great in student affairs. And so my question back to him was, so you're telling me that I could stay on campus for the rest of my life, hang out with students, and make money. He goes, Yeah. I said, all right, assignment <laughs> That was it. That's, that was my switch from you genetics to ed. I was sold. I was like, sold. So I did ended up doing my master's in higher ed, at KU. Okay. I never wanted to leave Lawrence. Uh, so that was another amazing thing. Mm-hmm. As an undergrad at KU, uh, as a graduate of KU, I didn't need to take the GRE to get into the grad school, which was another plus, right? Sure, yeah. So all sure. of it kind of came together. So I think and it's one of those stars being aligned. Mm-hmm. We talk about destiny benders on this podcast. We will be talking to so many of them. And he's one of those people that mm-hmm. just came into my life out of nowhere, and said, have you considered doing this? Which I'd never thought. I remember calling my dad and I said, hey, dad, guess what? I'm going to go do a master's in higher ed. And his question was, higher ed in what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I had to explain to him the whole concept of student affairs that exists predominantly in the U.S. and not necessarily in India, at least not at that point. And so that's where my journey started. Got that degree, moved to the University of Minnesota, Worked here for a couple of years in housing of all.
0: Oh, areas. I've done my stint in housing. I,
1: yeah, I, right? yeah, I was so, an
0: RA yeah. and then a Who residence hall manager in a previous life, so I totally know how that goes.
1: Who are you? Oh, see, that's something we have in common. I was never an RA, I never lived in the residence halls as a student. Okay. But my first, my second year in grad school, my assistantship was to be a hall director on campus, okay. which got me a job at the University of Minnesota. Came here. Did that, went on to work in corporate America for a few years, and then started a business uh, completely, nothing related to anything that I do today. 2008 came around, and unfortunately, my dad passed away in India. Uh, I went back to India to spend some time with family, and I'm like, man, India's changed so much. Mm -hmm. And I started questioning what I was doing at that time in, in terms of career. I thought about it. I remember on my on that trip back from the from India back to the U.S. I'm like, I need to do something different. I need to do something that's more uh, of a legacy building. Like, what's my legacy going to be? Like, you know, when I'm done, uh, what am I doing, and who am I helping? And so I spent a whole year thinking about that from October of 08 to October of 09. And then I went back to India in 09 because we had a one year anniversary of my dad's passing away. And so I spent those three weeks really thinking about I want to do something in India because it's home and i hadn't been back in so long i mean i would go for a couple of week vacations which was nothing i wanted to do something that was meaningful and impactful and i wanted to just travel and eat good food around the world so you kind of put all that together and i'm like man this is what i need to be doing i know what it means to be an international student i know that journey i have been through every challenge so why not do something that will help other students? And, you know, when I started, I was thinking just about Indian kids like me who are growing up in India. And in November of 2009, I launched the idea of Gen Next, and it just kind of grew from there. And here I am. And so, here you are. Uh, exactly. That's my story.
0: Gen next will be celebrating you said 2009 so 13 year anniversary
1: coming up on 13 years of, as a an idea and a company but I actually incorporated the company in April of 2010
0: awesome.
1: so this is going to be a 12 years I can't even do the math yeah so yeah,
0: yeah. and yeah. so much has changed since you started originally were you just doing the tours out to India with institutions? <clears throat>
1: No, you know, from get go, it was a very unique model, right? So I understood at that time, the whole agency commission-based recruiting model was pretty, you know, in vogue. Uh, At the same time, universities who didn't use agents were traveling once or twice to India just to visit high schools or do fairs. I didn't think that was a sustainable way of recruiting. And I didn't think the agency commission model was a good way of recruiting to me and so i came up with this model of creating an office in india that would service the india office mm-hmm. for a consortium of universities which in addition to taking them to india a few times a year to visit high schools would be actually a sustainable you know credible on the ground 24 7 365 presence for the institutions were part of the consortium but on the flip side The commitment to help students where we said we will never charge a student or a school or a family any money, but we will counsel them to go study wherever they want to anywhere in the world. And we obviously weren't charging commissions um, either. So the model was based entirely on consortium partners paying a fee to be part of the consortium and trips. Which we would host around uh, the year. And so it started in India, expanded into the Middle East. So for a good number of years, we led multiple trips across uh, India and the Middle East, hundreds of universities, visited hundreds and hundreds of high schools, really enjoyed it, right? Uh, It was such a fun, fun time, Uh, really felt like I was changing lives, helping students dream about something beyond their imagination by sharing my story, by sharing other stories with them. And then when the pandemic hit, like everybody else, we had to pivot. So we went into the virtual mode. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, You
1: know, for us, the good fortune was that we actually had these existing relationships we had the staff in India who were still actively engaging schools and colleges and universities on the ground. And so we did that, but there was an idea of this digital transformation that was on our back burner for a while. But so we took 2020 as the opportunity because we knew People were pushing back on it before, but when 2020 came around, we saw the opportunity and that's where we worked on. And by the end of the year, early January 21, we deployed Connected, which is our global platform right now, and then subsequently graded for grad students. So in 21, just the year of running connected or or offering connected as a platform, we grew our presence across the world. Now we have students and counselors and parents and universities on connected from over 160 countries.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Going back to the idea of destiny bending and destiny benders, which our podcast listeners will learn more about in the next episode, you're changing those lives and bending the destinies of this. Students, the many students that not only you, but all of the university representatives and counselors that you mm-hmm. work with. But. Yes. You, Jen, and Jen Next are bending the destinies of those counselors and those university representatives and admissions officers, aren't you? In that you're providing these opportunities for them and for some of them, perhaps they'd never been to India before. So you were leading Mm -hmm. them on this first time ever to India trip and changing their lives in that way. That's exciting. I sure
1: hope so. Yeah, it has been really exciting. That's a great point, Jess, because you're right on many of the trips yeah we're there to do a job right we're there the universities are there to visit high schools and pass out brochures and you know do the work it's also i think important for them to understand india as a country at least i felt that very strongly from the get-go so over the years obviously i've had the the privilege of taking or bringing so many people to india apart from the work we did helping them really understand the country the culture The nuances, mm-hmm. the food, right? I mean, to me, food is the best way to explore a culture. And making sure that every meal we had on the trip was together, mm-hmm. right? Not left to their own devices and say, "Go find some food." I would take them to restaurants every single meal. Try different cuisines in every part of the country. Try the best food that that we can find, and really built a lot of relationships, lots of friendships. Uh, just amazing people, and I've been blessed. To, to have work with all of them. I miss it a lot right now. And I'm I'm itching. I'm chomping at the bit to get back on the, the road again. We will continue to do those. But you know, when you think back and silver linings and all of that COVID in many ways really helped us expand the work that yeah. we're doing and all the work we've done this past year uh, across the world is just testament to that. So really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, enough about me. I want to hear your story, right? I mean, obviously we knew each other through just work and conferences and then your stint at UTSA. Tell me more.
0: For me, I think international education or my awareness of it began when I was in high school because I went to an international school. So the International School of Bern in Switzerland is where I went to high school. My Dad is Swiss and my mother is British and I grew up, my early years were spent in Canada, Texas, Switzerland, the UK, England, and ended up high school in Switzerland, but had prior to that moved multiple times to those four countries back and forth and... So it was a bit of a, a bit of a mess, but came became aware of international education through my high school experience. Went to the University of Texas at Austin for, for undergraduate. Like you, found one university, applied to only that one. I didn't like do any research. I didn't, we didn't yeah. have a high school college counselor back in those days. I knew my yeah. parents were leaving Switzerland and moving to Texas. So I just looked up universities in Texas, found UT Austin. It was a little, it was about an hour and a half, away from San Antonio where my parents were living. So it was far enough away to where I didn't have to yeah. live at home, I could have a little bit of independence, but still close enough to if I wanted to go home at the weekend, I could go home at the weekend. Drop and- laundry
1: off, you can do that, right? Do all
0: that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I looked <laughs> yeah. at UT, it was like, okay, fine, I'll go to UT and went. So really there was no thought put into my university, you know, undergraduate application whatsoever. But I loved it. I Absolutely loved it. Fantastic four years. Loved Austin, loved the university. Studied art history and yeah. graduated with a degree How'd in fine How would you decide arts. on that? Well, I went in kind of like you, thinking I was going to be one thing. So I went in and thought I wanted to do journalism. And the first semester I was like, really, journalism is not for me. This is not what I want to do. And had taken an art history class as one of the electives. So I took the art history class, loved it, loved the art history class. So I thought that's what I'm going to change my major to art history. So I changed to art history, got a degree in fine arts, in art history, graduated again, put absolutely zero thought into what am I going to do with this degree? What you know, what kind of a job can I have? No idea, really had no planning whatsoever. And I had a boyfriend at the time who was from New York City. And so we decided to move to New York together after we graduated from college. So we packed everything up into a U-Haul, drove to New York City, got an apartment in the Bronx. And I thought, okay, well, I got a degree in art history. New York City—I mean, yeah, th- that's right? the yeah. epicenter of the art world, really, certainly in the United States. I'll find a job at an art gallery or a museum, and then after a couple of months, I was like, no, this is really just not for me. I'm not an art world person. This is not <laughs> what I want to do. Um, and ended up becoming a substitute teacher <laughs> in New York City. And- <laughs> did that for a little while and thought, I'm going to go back to university and get my master's degree. When I started thinking about what I wanted to study for my master's degree, I remembered what an impact my experience at the international school had had on me. And I realized that I wanted to have a career where I could encourage people to get to know other parts of the world, to study in another country and live and learn in cultures different from their own. But I didn't know that international education was a thing. I had been looking at different universities in the New York area and NYU, New York University, had a master's yeah. degree in international education. So I could go back and get a master's degree in that subject specifically. So I applied yeah. to NYU and was accepted and started the MA International Education Program there, did that for two years. That's where I was an RA in oh, the I NYU. Oh, okay. yeah. As a grad student as a grad student, yeah. I lived in New York for, for a long time, probably about, well, a long time, five or six years. You know, if you count the time that I moved up there after graduation uh, from undergrad and then did my master's and then stayed for a few years more. I got a job at uh, a nonprofit uh, in their global education and did research projects in Central Asia. So Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, so all the stands. All the stands.
1: So How we, interesting. Yes. Yeah, so Had we you went- been to that region before or no?
0: No, no, really didn't know much about it. But part of the MA program is that we had to have an internship, uh, a practical experience nice. as part of the program requirements. And so I had gotten the internship at EDC and then they hired me once I graduated. So I just stayed on and worked there for a few years doing these research projects and kind of train the trainers type mm-hmm. projects. And that was really interesting. Got to go out to Kazakhstan and that, you know, never been to that part of the world before. It was amazing. Oh, cool totally amazing. Really got a taste for that travel for work lifestyle. And then 9-11 happened. I was working downtown and my office, I was on, I don't know what floor, but my desk had a window right in front of it, and my view was of the World Trade Center. So every day yeah. I'd go to work, and I'd you know open up the blinds, and there was the World Trade Center. 9-11, I went to work, could hear all the sirens, didn't know what was going on, went to work, opened the blinds, and saw that the World Trade Center was on fire. You've seen the pictures, oh, and you know yes. what it was like. Yeah. Um, and as I was watching, the first tower that was burning, the yeah. second plane hit. So I saw it happen. You actually
1: watched the second plane hit.
0: I mean, anyone who's listening who lived in New York at the time, who was even part of that, knows what that was like. So the rest of the day was just chaos in New York, as Mm -hmm. you can imagine. And I lived in Brooklyn at the time. Trains had all shut down, couldn't get to Brooklyn. We all had to walk across the bridge. I'm sure you've seen pictures of thousands yeah, of people
1: really, yeah tv coverage yeah
0: i still loved new york but the days weeks months afterwards everything was changed for everybody in multiple different ways multiple different levels you know i was very lucky thinking about you know what could have happened and what happened to so many people but I also thought, oh, I I want to make a change in my life. I don't want to continue to do this anymore. So I started looking around for where else I might want to go, and I got a job teaching English in China. Oh, so I moved. Wow. To- to China, <laughs> to Jilin province. So I taught English in China for a little while and that was exciting. I just wanted to try something different, new, you know, go and visit a part of the world I'd never seen. And while I was there, I was thinking about my next move and I applied to a position at a university in Switzerland because I'm Swiss. So I'm yeah. able to just, you know, go and work there and applied for a position as a residence hall director, residence hall manager in Switzerland at a university there. It's called Franklin University. So it's an English speaking university. The medium of instruction is English in Lugano in the south of Switzerland. And so I got that job. So I moved from China to Switzerland and worked there for a while doing student activities and residence hall management that was crazy lots going on that during that time good experience learned a lot but ultimately decided that's not what i wanted to do you know from residence hall life and anyone who's listening who's yeah. been in res life knows exactly what i'm talking about i don't have to explain and uh yeah, you're there, a
1: lifer or you do it for a couple of years that's yeah it.
0: and then you get completely burned out
1: yes exactly
0: and uh so from there Moved to Denver again, really not sure what I'm doing with my life, kind of floating around, see jobs apply. And so I had no real sort of career path. I had the yeah. degree in international education, but I wasn't actually really using it, I suppose, following that international, that sort of purposeful international education career path that maybe many others have done. I just spent a long time floating. Around and oh, this looks good. I'm gonna do this. Oh, let me try this for a while. And oh, I like the idea of applying to this. I'll do that. And so I ended up in Denver, Colorado, at a small company that arranged volunteer tourism vacations like Gap Year. So American and British students could pay to volunteer in a developing country, helping on some kind of a project. A lot of it was just teaching English, to be honest, but some of it was like clearing up trash from a beach or planting trees in Ecuador, I don't know, different kinds of things like this. Uh, But it was gap year experiences. And so I worked there for a few years and got transferred to their UK office from Denver. The Denver was the US office and got transferred to the UK office, moved to the UK, worked to continue to work at this company. And is where I met my husband. We got married, so ended up staying in the UK. Then after that for, for a long time and got a job at York St. John University in York, in Yorkshire as a international development officer. And that's where I then sort of started my, in quotation marks, proper career path. The
1: international, the traditional international.
0: Yeah. But you know, the traditional the, international, international you know,
1: all the things you've done, they may not sound like your traditional career path, like from one to the other. But as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking there's a common thread. And it's all having to do around students, around global, around different international kinds of things, right? So there's still always that, even though you went to China and to Tajikistan or Kazakhstan, wherever, everything you to me at least, as I'm listening, I'm thinking, well, they're all international or slash global focused.
0: Yes. Yeah. I think for sure a lot of it had to do with me just wanting to have some kind of an adventure. I was never, and probably still am not, uh, very ambitious in terms of my career. I disagree.
1: I'm sitting here thinking, man, she's so brave and ambitious. I wish I had jumped around and gotten all these international experiences that you've had. You may not think that, but I think, you know, part of it is I hope the people who are listening, who are maybe kind of thinking about some of these things, see that there's not one set path. Yeah, we can come to this in so many different ways from so many different places and really build a career out of it. I can't imagine how much fun you've had all those years. In all those places.
0: Yeah. I, and I think that for me, that's really what drove me is I wanted to experience things. Yeah, That was what was more important to me than necessarily making any money. But I wanted to have those experiences and those adventures. And that was what drove me. Ultimately, what drove me to international education and to continue to do it even to this day is that I wanted to encourage young people to have those experiences. Mm -hmm. That's what drives me in international education, is that all of those international experiences I have changed me in multiple different ways that I'm conscious and unconscious subconsciously that I don't know about. And what I want is to go out there and talk to young people and tell them, get out there. Go and experience the other, something different. Learn about other people, other cultures, other traditions, other ways of life. Get out of your comfort zone. If that means traveling to somewhere to do a study abroad program, or it means going to a university to do your undergraduate or graduate degree in another country. Mm -hmm. If you can't get away, if it means staying where you are, but just try something new, have an experience. Have a, an adventure in any way that you can where you learn about the other, other people, other cultures, other and as much
1: as you learn about yourself
0: as much as yeah, you because because you, you will learn about yourself in that way. But you will, I guess, take what you've learned And use that in the future when you meet new people, it will help you in so many different ways that you can't even imagine if you're able to go into new experiences and navigate those kinds of things and navigate your way through difficult and un- uncomfortable situations, but also the people that you meet will learn from you and you'll be telling them about your own culture and your own traditions and, in that will touch them. And then they will be able to take that away with them. It's like a domino effect, isn't it? And it just it is. spreads.
1: Transformational experiences, right? For everybody involved. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a story. But no, wait, you you haven't finished it, right? You ended up at UTSA.
0: I did. Oh, yeah, I did end up at UTSA. So I worked at York St. John for a long time, went to Austria to work in an international school in international admissions and recruitment, but at a K through 12 level. So at, at the high school level, at an international school in Austria for a few years, and then applied to a job in San Antonio, Texas at the University of Texas, San Antonio, where my mother and father still live and i have a brother and sister in texas and i just wanted to i guess get home and be home yeah. for a while i thought of texas as home was there for 5 years and realized actually it's not home anymore <laughs> might have been at one point in my life but you know and again it was it was a learning experience i realized maybe you can never go back home i, I don't know mm-hmm. if i that's a quote or i think or some somebody said yeah. that but I realized you can't go back home and every, you've changed. It's changed. Everything's a little bit different and it won't be the way it was before. So it was it was sad for me in a little way to, to come to that realization, but good. And here we are back in the UK now.
1: Wow. What a, an amazing journey. I think, you know, as you're saying, I'm thinking there's a saying that a mind once stretched cannot go back to its original shape or something yeah. like that. So I think in in that same vein, I'm thinking lives once stretched to be all over the place can't just go back to that one place and second, this is me. No, home,
0: so. no, I tried. I did try, you know, and I think I really wanted it to happen yeah, yeah. that way, but it just doesn't.
1: I think I'm most comfortable waiting for a boarding call at a gate at an airport,
0: <laughs> to be honest <laughs>
1: with you. And that's what I'm missing right now through the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but wow, yeah. you know, in many ways, right, our journeys have been so different and unique, but yet here we are. 10 years later of meeting, we're saying, hey, let's do something that's fun and cool and interesting. And how exciting. I'm so stoked for this podcast. And you're right, Destiny Benders is our title and Destiny Bending is a work we do. Um, So I'm really excited to do this with you, Jessica.
0: So I'm glad we are. And I think along the way, we're going to meet so many colleagues, people that we already know, but we're going to re-meet them in a way, really get to know them and hear their stories because just you and I discussing our own stories with each other. So many interesting nuggets have popped up. And I think as we talk to people, we're going to discover the same with every single person we have on this podcast. And I'm excited to share with the wider international education community. I hope people will listen to our podcast and Me to find it hoping. as interesting yeah. as we do. It Maybe it will inspire somebody somewhere along the line yes. to start their own project and maybe we'll be destiny benders. Yeah.
1: I'm really hopeful for that. You're absolutely right. Maybe hearing our guests speak, people get inspired. People take that step that they've been afraid of taking, or just know or realize that there's so many different things out there that we could be doing. Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm really excited. I hope we get a lot of visitors uh, who come and really appreciate uh, the conversations that we're having. Let's get started then.
0: Let's get started.
1: Join us on the 26th of January as we launch our podcast. Our first guest will be Dr. Gabrielle Mulfati, Director of Global Engagement at the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Missouri.
0: We hope you'll join us next week for the latest episode of Destiny Benders.